I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of 1 John, chapter 3. First John chapter 3, we'll be reading into chapter 4, we're going to begin reading in 1 John 3 verse 10, and read through chapter 4 verse 16, I'm sorry, verse 19, no, we're going to read the whole chapter, yeah. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, through chapter 4, verse 19. God's word declares, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world, but by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. But we love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen. How can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also.
As I shared last Sunday, we are departing a little bit from the format that I've followed for the past seven weeks. Um, As I looked at some of these theological terms and blessings that God has offered to us and provided for us, uh, we have looked at God's initiation of it one week and then followed that by looking at our responsibility to receive these and how that happens what is uh, required of us in these instances. Uh, I really covered both of those last week. Hopefully you noticed that. I don't know if you did or not. As we talked about the fact that God's love was obviously initiated towards us in the past through the sending of his son, Jesus Christ, to die on Calvary's cross for our sins. But that he also talks about his present love and a future love for you that is conditioned upon it's, it's receiving its blessing. His love is there, whether you receive it or not. But to receive the blessing of it requires you to keep his commandments, to love him, to trust in him. Just as you trusted in him to receive his historical expression of love for you, to make it your own, um, that is that you took possession of that expression of love rather than just leaving it hanging out there, Um, sort of like the man who offers his hand in a handshake and no one puts out their hand to receive it. Um, That's how God has expressed his love to men. He puts out his hand. I died for you. And no one, when no one takes that hand and receives it, it's an empty gesture um, because it has no value and you're demonstrating enmity. But God in his love has removed that enmity and hence we have peace. Um, if we accept his son, Jesus Christ. So the condition of salvation is that we must trust in Christ and uh, repent, follow, becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. In terms of his present and future love, God has consistently said all the way back as we read last week that our responsibility to maintain the blessings of that love is to love him and keep his commandments, to be reciprocating. That just as he has loved us, he then calls us to respond with love toward him. And then in terms of keeping his commandments, and we're going to investigate um, the nature of keeping his commandments. Uh, We often think, well, that means he's got a whole list of do's and don'ts. But he has very simply categorized them into some aspects of life that we can apply consistently in whatever environment we are. And we find that as we do that, that that is not a grievous or hard thing or a boring thing, but rather it is a joyful thing. It is something we can look forward to and is something that brings uh, contentment in our life, brings fulfillment, um, and uh, keeps us from the misery and the downcastness that a world of sin would naturally have on us. And so we want to look at keeping his commandments a little bit more today um, as an extension of what we talked about last week. And we're going to really focus in on the simplest way to express the commandments of Jesus Christ in our life, and that is by taking our love for God as a response to his love for us and now realizing that it's time that we share it with one another. That is not just a vertical aspect, this love that Jude once multiplied to his readers. It is a horizontal relationship as well with one another. That how that love of God is manifested or multiplied amongst his own. And this we want to look at as the Lord allows. Let's go to him and, and uh, commit this time to him. Lord God, we do thank you again for your word before us, your spirit within us. And we pray that as we investigate and renew our understanding of your requirements for us, of your expectations for those who are called by your name, who have received your loving gift of salvation, who are now members of your family and of your kingdom, uh, that we might uh, do so with full hearts, ready to receive your instruction whether we have known of this for decades, that we can rehearse it together and remind ourselves of the extent of what you ask of us 
and that you also empower us. And for this we thank you by your spirit that you empower us to accomplish these things. And for all this we give you the praise, honor, and glory in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, First John 3 and 4 makes it very clear what the commandment that we want to talk about is. This is the commandment. Jesus Christ, we introduce says this is a new commandment. I give to you that you love one another. That uh, as he has fulfilled the law, the Old Testament, well, what is the directive of life now? If the Ten Commandments were accomplished in Christ, that is that he fulfilled them and that we have inherited or been imputed with the righteousness of Christ. That we are now walking in his righteousness, not our own. So when we receive Christ, we are not walking in our own self-righteousness. That's pharisaical. But we are walking in the righteousness of Christ who fulfilled the law. So now we are free from the law. The song says, oh, happy condition. Uh, Romans talks about that freedom that we have from the law. Does that mean that we go out and live as we please? No, because we are the children of God and are brought into the family of God, we live as he pleases. And the law is not the extent of what pleases God. Uh, we have expressed this many times in the past, that you can try to keep the Ten Commandments all you want, and you have still not accomplished that which truly pleases God. His righteousness, his expectations, his holiness is far above that. Those are some minimum standards just to demonstrate to you your sin. That's what they're there for. They're not there to work your way to earn heaven. Their, their purpose is there to instruct you in how miserable a sinner you really are. You can't even keep ten little commandments. You can't do it. None of you have. You're all guilty. And so the idea that keeping the Ten Commandments is the way to heaven um, is a, a no-starter. It just can't get going. And it's not its purpose. It wasn't its purpose then. It was a demonstration of a heart attitude towards God that I will look to the law, realizing I can't keep the law, hence I have to make all these sacrifices for all the sin that I've done, whether I've done them Knowingly or unknowingly, I still had to do these sacrifices year after year, day after day in the temple. There were sacrifices being offered because no one could keep the law. And so there was a reminder of sin. There was a picture of the, what covers sin, that is innocent blood. But it was obvious that the blood of bulls and goats couldn't really do the job. And they never were intended to. And Moses communicated this right at the beginning. There's going to be coming one after me, greater than me. Him you should listen to. Jesus Christ. He is the one who's going to be the completion. So not only did Christ fulfill the law, he finished the sacrifices. He was the once and for all sacrifice. Hebrews talks about him, a better sacrifice, a better high priest, a better uh, mediator that we have in him. And so don't shy away, don't, don't fall away from this salvation because there's nothing comparable anywhere. There is nothing else available to get right with God. So we see that this is the law that was accomplished, so now do we just have liberty to live however we please? Because we are free from the law. Well, no, Christ himself gave us his commandments. But his commandments were of a different nature because he's talking to different kinds of people. He is not talking to a people who need to be reminded of their sin and convinced of it. That was the condition of people under the law. The law is necessary to convince people and convict people of their sin. And so I come to you and it says, thou shalt not lie. And I say, well, have you ever told a lie? Yeah. Well, then you're a liar. You're guilty. So that was the purpose of the law. What are the purposes of Christ's commandments? They aren't given to the world. They aren't, their purpose isn't to, to point out your sin because you've already dealt with sin because you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. So what is the purpose of Christ's commandments? Christ's commandments are given to those who are in his family, those who are his children, those who have already received him as Savior and Lord. And he says, these are the commandments I give to you. 
And they're of a different nature because they aren't there to point out your sin. They are there to direct you in your obedient worship of the one who has saved you. They are meant to direct you in how to be God-pleasing because you've already said, that's what I want in my life. I want to please God. Because you've given your will to him when you received him as Savior and Lord. So now his commandments aren't there to point out your sin. They are there to aid you in your walk with God to walk in his love. How do I live as a Christian? Well, now we have some commandments that are directive for us, not there to condemn us, but there to assist us. And we all recognize that in life there are laws that have that purpose. Um, most of our laws in most nations are there not to condemn you, but to assist you. All of your traffic laws are not there to condemn you. They are there to keep you safe. All of those building codes that I'm having to deal with down here at the Maycumber House, they are not there to condemn us. They are there to protect us. To keep these houses from falling down from shoddy contractors and shoddy workmanship and shoddy materials. And so we operate under a lot of those command, kinds of commandments. But we also have commandments that we recognize are there to condemn us. You kill somebody, you're, you're, that's bad, that's wrong. Uh, and so we have the law to condemn. Christ's commandments are there to direct our lives in how to walk in the love of God. So his commandments are very simple. Love God. Keep his commandments. Well, John says, well, what are his commandments? Love God and love one another. And this summarizes, Jesus said, all the law. If you really want to know what God anticipates and expects out of you, he expects you to love him. And that's why we sing. We sing because we love him. You should want to sing his praises because you love him. You should want to speak with him because you love him. You should want to know what he has to say to you. Read his word because you love him. Love the Lord. Be intimate with him. What else are his commandments? Well, 1 John says, so I can summarize all the rest of them, love one another. That pretty much washes out all the nasty, doesn't it? You can't gossip, because that's not loving. You can't complain, that's not loving. I mean, you can start going through the list, and all of them are covered. Both sins of omission and sins of commission uh, are covered under this uh, horizontal aspect of you should love one another. And you cannot maintain that you are walking the love of God and pleasing him while harboring bitterness, anger, resentment uh, toward men. You just cannot do that. These are those that God also loved. He died for them just as he died for you. And you should be loving one another. And this is the strong statement that John makes. And Jude, I believe, is in, involved in this as well. He heard the Lord teach this also. To have love multiplied to us is not dependent upon, but it is benefited by and, and a further multiplied, not only by receiving the love of God, but by receiving and giving love to one another. If you're only interested in sharing love from God and with God and disinterested in it toward others, then you have no concept of what the love of God really is, is what John says. He says, you're a liar. You can't say you're God's and not love one another. That's pretty strong words. You're a liar. And the indication from Paul, John here is that there are lots of people walking around saying exactly that. They are saying they are God's child and they say they love God and that 
They have the love of God, and yet they are maltreating one another. That's exactly what we're going to deal with in the book of Jude. How do you handle these people who come in expressing themselves as the children of God and the carriers of the love of God, and yet maltreating his people? Maltreating one another. And yes, I don't think of any worse treatment you can give than to deceive and to lead someone away from the truth of God's word. I think that's probably the most unloving thing you can do to anyone. Yeah, it's worse than beating on them or anything else because you are doing damage to their spirit, to their future, to their walk with God, to all that God has done accomplished in them. So they are the greatest threat that we are told to guard ourselves against in Scripture, not the world. There's a threat from there of turning to carnality. We have dealt with that extensively. But the other, even greater threat is internally. That we have these who claim Christ, but are really just moving among the Christian community for their own interests. And that comes in many different forms. Let me talk about a couple of them. I'm not, not trying to point fingers, but to help us to understand when am I crossing the line? When have I gone into a selfish Christianity? When have I not made that the priority to love others? Um, I think one of the ways that I've seen it uh, in the modern era is the abuse of the spirit gifts. It is very clear from Scripture there's one reason the Spirit has gifted any of you, and that is to serve others, not yourself. And when we start using our gifts for our personal interests and not for the benefit of the church, we are falling into that condition of a selfish Christianity that sees only themselves, 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 and never the needs of the rest, and they aren't energizing the Spirit's gifts for the benefit of the church. And so we hear people talk about, well, I do this in private. I was like, why? It's for your own edification? Why? Where's your consideration of the church? And so we are called to exercise our gifts for the benefit of the body. And so um, my thumb doesn't just do things for itself. Thumb doesn't function by itself. It does everything in conjunction with and for the benefit of the rest of the body. The thumb doesn't just detach itself and go, I'm not going to do that. Um, and I like my thumb. Um, the opposable thumb is really nice. It would be really hard to pick up a glass of water and drink it without it. Um, not impossible. I know you have mugs with little stems and you can pick them up like this. But uh, it's a lot more helpful just to have that thumb. It makes work a lot easier. It makes eating a lot easier and drinking. It is really beneficial to my body. It's kind of an ugly, weird thing sticking on there if you just look at it for itself. Um, but its benefit to the body is substantial. If you love one another, you'll recognize you don't have to be the pretty front thing. You can be the little thumb that sticks out there and is kind of weird but you're going to exercise all of your gifts and abilities for the benefit of the body, and thereby you become substantially important. Well, what drives that attitude? Well, what drives it is the love of God being expressed to love one another. And so we have extensive development of this in 1 John. We certainly don't have enough time to go through all of it from verse, chapter 3, verse 10, through chapter 4, verse 14. Um, and I'm going to uh, kind of pick out of here. I'm not going to really do it in order through here. And I'm also going to reference some other passages of Scripture. Um, I'm going to start off at the beginning. We love God because He first loved us. Similarly, we love one another because God has loved us. So 1 John 4, 19, we love Him because He first loved us. 1 John 4, 16, and we have known and believed the love of God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. 
So first and foremost, we must understand that the love we are called to express is not generated within us. It is not what the world calls love. It is not your affections, your feelings. That is not what we are referencing. It's not your chemical attractions to one another, that you see this person as beneficial or someone that you um, particularly care for or like, that you have some connection with. That is not what we are talking about. It has nothing to do with that. How do I know that? Because there was nothing in me appealing to God. And yet he loved me. I was a sinner. I was full of rebellion. I was full of everything God hates. There was nothing appealing to me, of me, in me, to God. But he loved me. This is the love we are talking about. And the world doesn't have it. They just, it cannot be generated within men um, in their old nature. You just cannot generate that kind of love. And you, you might say, well, we see it here and there, some expressions of that. We see sacrificial love, and, and it's kind of fascinating um, because one of the examples that's always brought up is in the military. And I don't know how many war movies you watch. I think probably a lot more than you realize. All the great ones have some battle around going on. Um, even Sound of Music was a war movie, right? You're thinking about that now. It was. So um, we say, oh, the sacrifice for their country, love of country, and they're willing to give their life for it. But if you ever listen to them before they're going out to those kind of battles, that conversation is a real conversation. You know what it's about? It's about glory. Let's go out in a blaze of glory. What does that mean? Doing it for my country. They're not doing it for glory for their country. So that in the history books, they'll say, oh, these ones went up San Juan Hill. And they'll write poems about us and sing songs about us. And that mentality is there. I mean, you watch enough Hollywood, you'll realize that that is a pervading mentality of those who we think of as doing sacrificial love but in the end, when they're actually doing the, right before actually dying, they're doing it for their own glory. We just watched The Magnificent Seven this past week or so, and what do they rehearse again? This village is going to sing songs about you for what you men have done. And there's a kind of perverse immorality that they're, not immorality, immortality, sorry, immortality that they are chasing. See, the world doesn't understand the love of Christ that did not die for nice people or their own people, but died for those that hated them. Even the soldier to the degree that you might say, well, that he didn't have that in his mind. He was thinking of his family. He was still thinking of his country, his family, his own. Imagine someone standing up to die for the enemy. To die for the enemy's family. For the enemy's country. We call that a traitor. And in that sense, you say God's a traitor to himself because he died for his enemy. That's the love of God. And it is not generated naturally in man in sin. So once we eradicate that idea that we can generate this ourselves, we then go to the scripture and say, okay, I, have I can love God on this kind of level because he first loved me. And so my love response to God is to love him as he loved me and he has demonstrated that love toward me and so I know how it looks. It, it, it is irrevocable. It doesn't matter what appearances are. It doesn't matter how appealing someone is or how appealing God is at the time. I am going to give of myself to him as he gave all for me. 
And we have no comprehension, honestly. Um, I, I try sometimes in my meditation to think about all that Christ left to come here and what he endured. And we really, we're going to try it on Easter Sunday a little bit to understand that. But, and so I've been working this over and I really can't get there to really grasp because I've never been to heaven. I cannot fully grasp what Christ gave up because I never, because I had a lot of my life that I wasn't in fellowship with God. So I don't know what it's like to have that broken when it was never broken before. I never had the intimacy that the son had with the father to know what he suffered, to leave and to be cry out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I can't grasp that kind of sacrifice for someone like me. I can't grasp what Christ gave up. And so my puny expressions of love toward God, of self-sacrifice, are just that. Puny. We really don't give up hardly anything in our expression of love for God. And yet that's what he calls us, that we make pleasing him a priority in our life, that we are doing that out as, as an expression of thanksgiving, as a response to his love for us. And now we want to take that same kind of love and have it work now toward others. And again, this is not based upon whether they are appealing to you, whether you like them, whether you have chemistry with them, whether you get along with them, whether you enjoy looking at them, smelling them, hearing them, if their voice, their laugh annoys you, none of that matters. <laughs> not one bit of it. In this expression of love, it is singularly built upon a commitment to that person's benefit regardless of their current condition and attitude toward me. You are committed to that person's benefit regardless of how they're treating you. Remember, we were the enemies of God when God loved us and sent his son to die for us. So the Bible talks about loving your brethren, love your enemies. It's easy to love people that you like. It's easy to love people who are helping you or benefiting you. It's a lot different story to love those who are less lovable, who are in fact your enemies. And yet this is precisely what God calls us to do. And so we are called to love your brethren. It begins at home. It begins right here, among the family. And the world's watching. The world watches this all the time. How are we treating one another? What have we surrendered for one another? What have we spent of ourselves that we expect nothing in return for to benefit others. This is the measure of love. I, haven't even, I don't even have to walk into the area in the arena of doing injury to others, of lying to them, of, of cursing them, of, of abusing them. I don't have to walk into that arena because I'm captivated with how do I benefit them? How do I spend myself to benefit them? We can look at our last expression of our love for the Haitians and the orphans there that we've never, you've never really met. I've met a few of them. Uh, I doubt they'll remember me, uh, but um, I remember a few of them. And I'm pretty sure if I met them, I would recognize them. Every now and then in the pictures, I recognize some of them, even though it's been years since I've seen them. They're getting old. I don't know how that happens. I don't, but they do. They get older. Um, our last expression of our love for them, uh, we have no benefit. There's only cost to us. 
and we don't desire any benefit. We don't desire anything. We have no reciprocation expected. We are filled with joy with the news that not only is it helping to what we sent it to help, but it's going beyond that and doing more than what we expected it to do. And we rejoice in that. And we don't say, well, where's our cut? Because we're not interested. This is the kind of expression that is God-generated. But it can't just be for the orphans out there. It needs to be internal as well, that we have one another's interests at heart, not just occasionally, not just when we see them, but always in all of our decision-making, in all of our communication with God, that we are praying for one another, that we are lifting up the cares and concerns of one another. And I want you to understand how important this is to God. Jesus Christ in Matthew, what, 25, 26, talks about, went to his disciples and said, this is what's going to happen when people arrive in heaven. I'm going to look at them in the eye and say, I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't give me water. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. And they're going to look at God incredulously and say, when? When were you hungry? We didn't feed you. When were you thirsty? When were you naked? And what is Jesus' response there? It says, well, when you didn't do it to the least of these, my brethren, you didn't do it to me. That's how important it is to God. And his response to them is, because you didn't have love for my brethren to feed them, water them, and clothe them, you didn't really have love for me, and if you don't love me, you're none of mine. You are going out into outer darkness. How serious is this thing about showing brotherly love? It is essential. You cannot, you can not be a child of God without it. You cannot claim to be his child and walking in the love of God and having his love in your life without having that kind of love for one another. It is one of the questions that's going to be asked in your <laughs> uh, final accounting before God. Why didn't you feed, water, clothe, house, care for God. That's what Jesus says. Why didn't you care for me? When did we have a chance? Every time you're confronted with someone who needs it and you turn your back away, you chose not to do it to me. You cannot be confronted with those kinds of needs and not have them dramatically affect you if you are a child of God. You cannot be confronted with it. It is not of any glory for me that I go down there to, and you send me down there to Haiti and I'm confronted with these images and I, I, I'm carrying these little children around and I'm realizing they don't need dolls. They need underwear. They don't need candy. They need meat because they haven't had any for a week. They don't need a TV set. They need books to read. And so, yes, I can't come home bringing my clothes home when they have none. And I have closet fulls we have a storage locker out here with bags and bags and bags of your clothes. Because <laughs> we have so much, we just get rid of them before they're even worn out. Christ says, this is so important. It is the measure of entering heaven. Because if you don't love one another, my love isn't in you. And if my love isn't in you, you are none of mine. You are going into outer darkness. So, Make this not an option of your Christian life. Understand it as the essential of the Christian life. And John communicates that here. 
You cannot say that you have seen God. You cannot say that you know God. You cannot claim any of that, that you are God's, if you do not love one another. Because if you love one another, you are born of God. And you know God. And so you cannot be untouched. You walk through life untouched by these needs. Christ said, you have not experienced my love at all. Now, most of you know me, that I am not the teary-eyed guy that's going to come over and hug you and, and uh, do, you know, I'm, I'm not going to pet the pooch and, and go too gaga over your kids. Okay, I'm not that kind of loving person. Um, that's the, what the world is associated with love, and I've been often accused throughout my ministry of being very unloving. Because I don't associate those things with love at all. I'm sorry, I just don't. Because they do nothing. They really do nothing. To me, association of love is, how can I help you? What are some basic needs that need to be taken care of? Need a house? Let's build it. You need clothes? Let's get them. You need the truth? Let me give it to you. Not, oh, you poor thing. What does that really do for you? What does someone coming up to you saying, oh, you poor thing, really do for you? Come on. I'm happy about you poor thing. I was like... Yeah, I am. Well, how did that help me? I know my wife wants me every now and then to come and say, oh, you poor thing, you had a hard day at work. Um, But get dinner on the table. (laughs) It doesn't really help. From my perspective, Jesus Christ says, you love me, you're going to feed, water, clothe, you're going to care for one another. Don't say you love someone. Say, oh, we'll pray for you, maybe once, if I, if I think of it, and do nothing. That kind of love is the world's, and it's empty. It's not God's. God so loved us that he gave. He gave himself, everything, for us. So when you start to claim love for one another, be prepared to give everything of yourself or someone else. This is the mark. One of the hallmarks that we know we are God's. And that's the whole point. John is writing all First John to say, that I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. Um, Well, how do I know that I am God's child? When you have the love of God for the unlovable in your life that moves you to sacrifice anything and everything of your time, your attentions, your energies, your resources to meet other needs, even to the detriment of your own. I'm thrilled that Brother Hindle wants to use you as an example, and he is doing that extensively. Everywhere he goes, you are the example that he gives to every church he speaks at in these United States of love your brethren. And for this, I praise God that I can be your pastor. And it has to be not only towards Haitians and Indians and Peruvians, it needs to be toward Robertses and Wesselinks and Bumphreys and Gonzaleses. I have a hard time with that last name. It's too many S's there somewhere in my mind. Fries and McKillops, Toscanos, Brummets, Archuletas. Can't remember Andrea's last name. So Andrea's is we need to take care of each other. And all the brethren. It is the hallmark of your faith. When it's missing, you have no relationship with God. That's missing. 
And so John calls his people. How do you know what love is? Well, it's laying down your life. Verse 16 of chapter 3 of 1 John. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Whoever sees, has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? <clears throat> um, we qualify under the first phrase of verse 17 extensively. He, but whoever has this world's goods. This is where the whole world's goods come, is to this country. You guys don't really go to the store anymore. You get online, you order things from Malaysia and Japan. And, oh, my, my daughter orders stuff from all over the world. And I'm like, you're talking to someone in Russia because you want their little thing. And it's like, it's just, well, you know, when I was growing up, the Sears catalog was cool. You know, I can order from a catalog. Now that's puny. You have the world's goods. They're all being shipped here. When we see our brother in need and do nothing, do not ever claim you have the love of God in your life because it is vacant. You must move to action or you are none of Christ's. Can you imagine God's going out, sitting up there in heaven saying, well, I love you. I wish I could do something. I hope this works out for you down there. Get back with me and let me know what I can do. No, God loved from heaven and came down from heaven. Not to be treated like a king among you. And that's why I won't go back to Hades because that's how they treat me. I don't want to be treated that way. He came to be treated as a servant among you. He didn't, came to be, he didn't come to be served, but to serve. We've taken extraordinary efforts with our Indian brethren whenever we went there to explain to them, we did not come here for you to serve us. We came here to, be, to serve. Do not treat us like some royalty, but they do. <laughs> and I'm so uncomfortable with it. We come to serve. For we love them. Not because we are so extraordinary, because how can you not when we have been loved of God so completely? And we are fools to expend resources on ourselves and call ourselves the children of God. Our resources need to be expended on each other and others. Not on ourselves. Not on me and mine. But on my brethren. This is what it means to believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ. Verse 23 of chapter 3. This is his commandment. We should believe in the name of the Son of on His Son Jesus Christ and love one another. You want to love God and keep his commandments? You cannot do it without loving one another. You cannot do it without loving one another. You can read your Bible, pray every day, and we need to add something to that song. And not have the love of God in you. If you're not loving one another, it is that critical. It is defining your faith. And so, I know you know this. I see it at work in your heart as a church and in your actions. The world of, that knows about it, the church larger church that knows about it, sees it, recognizes it. I get the benefit of being able to talk to them more than you. 
Before we applaud ourselves too strongly, let's remember last Sunday the accusation that came upon the church of Ephesus. They lost their first love. We're going to need sermons like this, aren't we? Pretty regularly to make sure we don't lose it. That we don't sit back on our haunch and say, well, we've done so much already, it's time for somebody else. Oh, no. We still have breath. We still have resources. We still have life. We still have an expectation to give. And so we press on so that we don't lose our first love. And the evidence of that is that we don't lose our love to care for others and each other. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your great love for us. And we thank you for a reminder today that we must press on, that you have still given us vast resources and there are great needs. And it's easy for us to just throw up our hands and say, we don't have enough to meet all those needs. And that in itself is probably true. But Lord, you can multiply small resources just as you multiplied the widow's oil to pay all her debt. She kept pouring it and pouring and pouring and there it was. And it was only limited by our faith to collect bottles to fill. Lord, give us that kind of understanding. We cannot out-expend your resources. Lord, we do thank you. Again, for others who have that same heart, and we see it in our missionary families, and we thank you for them. And Lord, keep us sensitive and ready. And Lord, we know that there's a cost, not just in material things, but Lord, we know there's a cost that some will take those resources and reject them. Just as many have rejected your love and the death of, and sacrifice of your son for their sin, some will reject our attempts to show love toward them. Lord, help us to show it nonetheless. Lord, multiply our love. As Jude desired for his readers that love be multiplied among them, so we pray that it be multiplied and maintained and sustained till your coming in this congregation. We praise this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.